I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and this is The Truth of the Matter. This is the podcast where we break down the policy issues of the day. Since the politicians are having their say, we will excuse them with respect and bring in the experts, many of them from CSIS, people who have been working these issues for years. No spin, no bombast, no finger pointing, just informed discussion. In today's episode of The Truth of the Matter, I'm flying solo as Bob Schieffer is out of town. To get to the truth of the matter about what's going on in our political culture, I've invited James Pilch, who wrote a fascinating new article for Politico magazine called Democrats Have a Values Problem, But Here's How They Can Fix It. Now, this article isn't just a manifesto about how the Democratic Party can win elections. It's really more about community. It's about equality. It's about freedom. And it got to the truth of the matter, I thought, about what's going on in our political culture. And that's why I asked James to come on. James, welcome to the truth of the matter. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the nice words about the piece. I'm really excited to be here. So, James, I want to talk about the concepts you bring up in the piece. You talk a lot about freedom and equality and and that set of issues. Can you explain to our listeners, you know, what the gist of the article is and why you thought that that framing of the set of issues was so important? Absolutely. So I think the first thing to cover is that this article is based on a road trip that I took back in 2017 in the wake of the 2016 election searching for values that united Americans. I want to understand, was there a set of ideals or beliefs that even in this deeply polarized time, people could gather around and believe in together and fight for together? I ultimately found that there were a few ideals that really resonated with people. And one of the foremost ones was freedom. People talked endlessly about how what it means to be an American is to be free. And that is so central to our national identity, to their personal beliefs about what they want in their life, about why they love this country. And I think that when people hear that, they might assume that that was just coming from Republicans because of how freedom is often discussed in our political discourse or covered in the news media. But it was just as much Democrats, too. Uh, I spoke with a man named Taj, who was a Sudanese refugee. And when he talked about what made America special for him coming here, it's freedom, it's rights, it's, it's the ability to speak freely. And when he talked about the founding, the American founding, he talked about how incredible it was that the founders talked about freedom when no one else in the world was really doing that yet at a national level. Melvin, who is a city councilor, in Jackson, Mississippi, one of the reddest places in the country, a Harvard graduate, a black man who talked relentlessly about the need for change in this country. What was to him the calling card of America? Freedom. And so I started to sort of think about this a little bit about, well, why is that? What does it mean? And what does it mean for the Democratic Party? I want to be clear up front that I am a progressive Democrat, that I define myself this way. I wrote this piece because I believe in the Democratic agenda, and I really wanted to think about, well, how can they sell their agenda to the American people and make the American people believe in them and in government more more broadly? And I think the thing that I started to notice with a little bit more distance from the road trip was that there was another word and value missing from my conversations that I think is equally American, at least in the telling of our national story as a rule, and that's equality. Almost no one talked about how to be American, to live in America, to live the American ideal is to be equal. 
or to pursue equality or to fight for equality. When I would ask people, you know, why do you volunteer or why do you get involved in politics? Very few people explicitly called that word out. And that really sat with me for a long time, Andrew. I did this road trip in 2017. And I thought about this for weeks, months, years, really, about what was a way forward from this. If, If Democrats believe in healthcare for all, whether that's in the form of a public option or that's in the form of Medicare for all, if they believe in ridding our justice system and our economy of systemic racism, if we believe that women should be paid the same amount as men for the same work, but people, including our own voters, members of our own party, aren't talking about the ideal that underlies that, the notion that all people are created equal, the notion that everyone should have equal rights and equal access to public and private goods in our country. How is our political agenda going to be successful, not just now, not just in 2022, although that is the framing of the piece, but for a generation? How can Joe Biden, how can Democrats with this new but slim majority start to change the political conversation so that we are not just responding to Republican ideals, but that our view of our country, that we can have a country where all people are equal, truly? How can we make that happen over a generation, really? But you found that people weren't talking about equality, and yet that's something that is so central to what everybody in the Democratic Party is talking about right now. So I guess your argument is is that equality may not be a political winner for the Democrats? I think that what I would say is first that equality-driven policies are hugely popular. So it's not that that agenda is not one that people want. And I I can't stress this enough. People much prefer Democrat policies that would would make our country more equal. So you're you're really distinguishing between the rhetoric versus the policy. Rhetoric and values and how we conceive of our national values versus the policies. I think that's an essential distinction for me and my piece. Democrats have a winning agenda. The question is, how do they compel the American people to believe in it? Not just now, not just when we're passing it through Congress, but for decades to come, when when inevitably, if we create a public option, it's not going to go smoothly at first. When inevitably, when we have to create a new tax, a wealth tax, when Republicans really start to hammer it, it will be harder to defend it. Right now, a wealth tax is very popular in our country as an idea. It will go through challenges when we actually try to implement it and there's campaigns against it. What is our selling point? And how, more importantly to me, Andrew, on some level than this narrow set of policies is, I think our national culture and politics is better if people believe in equality. I think we see in the last couple of months the way that freedom can be really, really poisonous if employed incorrectly. So I think if you look at the conversation around masks, that is a place where our political culture around freedom, that we should not be told what to do in this country, can have terrible effects, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us, for the people we love. So I think that this is, for me, it's about getting our agenda passed and popular, but also re-elevating equality in people's mind's eye. And I think we have to be creative to do that. So it's not that equality to me is a political loser. It's about building a coalition and building a belief back in it. And how do we do that is the question. You know, you also talk a lot in this piece about community. And I want to get to that because there's an interesting rap lyric that's out right now. I'm 
spacing out on the name of the rapper, but he says something to the effect of, you know, you talk about freedom a lot, but you won't even put on a mask to save your own grandmother. And that's kind of what you're talking about in this piece is that people are blinded by some notion of freedom. Maybe these are Democrats and Republicans. I don't know. But when you go out into the country, you know, outside of the Beltway, you see a lot of different attitudes towards freedom, equality, community. And you noticed in your research that the Democrats' relationship to equity and the Republicans' relationships to freedom and those words were very, very different. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's worth thinking about why maybe equality is not on par with freedom in our national discourse. And I think that this has to do in part with the party's relationship to these values, which you touched on. Republicans are relentless about their belief in freedom and that being their calling card as a party and what you can turn to them for. You know, if you're voting for a Republican, what their brand is. They are fighting for a freer America. I would really recommend anyone who hasn't to go watch Sarah Sanders announcement video for governor. She uses freedom, I think, like more than any other single word in the video. And I think that that is indicative of where the Republican Party has gone in the post-Goldwater, post-Reagan moment. That this is the country you're fighting for, a freer America where the government will stay away from you, where you are free to do what you want. And, And this is really freedom from in sort of the classic political philosophy conversation around this, not freedom to. It's just to say that the government is going to leave you alone. On the other hand, Democrats have a much more interesting relationship to equality on some level because it's not as cut and dry. So just briefly, that during the 1960s, the Democrats went from the party of the Dixiecrats in the South to really become the party of civil rights under first JFK a little bit, but then really under Lyndon Baines Johnson with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. They became the champions of the policies that were desperately needed. And they didn't stop there. They didn't just stop with political equality. They also really tried to take a strive step forward for economic equality with the great society. And there was this understanding and an imperfect understanding that much needed to be done politically and economically to guarantee that everyone had equal access to the American dream, equal access to American politics, equal access to American society. That started to erode in the post-Reagan moment or, or really after Reagan's 1984 election. When Democrats sort of started to turn toward what is now called the third way, and they started to really almost become a little bit of Republicans light, and they started to push for the notion of freer markets, opportunity, the notion that you should have a right to self-determination in the economic sense, the government should really stay away from the economy. And I think that that has implications for what we're talking about today. The Democrats turned away from equality. They stopped pushing it. They stopped talking about it. They stopped maybe fighting for working people of all races. And they started to sort of become more of a party of educated elites over time. And I think we saw in the most recent election that really was accentuated in part by educational elites dislike for Donald Trump. But in general, this has been a trend over time for Democrats. And so I think that today, part of the reason equality is not as much in the political dialogue is that Democrats didn't talk about for a while. That did start to change in 2016 with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders was the most explicitly pro-equality candidate that Democrats have certainly had since LBJ and maybe really ever, potentially, depending on how you you want to look at it. And I think that we see today this is starting to change, but the relationship is still tenuous. Joe Biden, in his inaugural speech, did not mention equality 
as one of the central values of his America, his vision for America. But he did, I think, three days later, sign a whole host of executive actions focused on equity. He's saying that this is a policy goal, that uh, that fighting for racial equity is a policy goal, that lifting children out of poverty, that no child should go hungry in this country is a major policy goal of his, that we should give bigger checks to people, that everyone should have the stimulus they need to make it through this is a goal. But he didn't use the word equality in that speech. And I think that speaks to this complicated dynamic for Democrats. So what does Joe Biden need to do to thread this needle in your view? To me, I think that there are two words I came across in my travels that I think if put together and sort of, you know, the the marketing and communications gurus in the party can sort of employ properly, can both make Biden's agenda right now really popular and build us toward a national commitment to equality. And these two words are fairness and community. I'll start with fairness because I think that the connection in some level will be clearer. I think that Americans on my road trip, and I think when we look at polling, want an America that is fair economically and socially. 70% of Americans in a recent Pew poll said the economy isn't fair. 82% of Americans said both that large corporations and the wealthiest Americans have too much power in our economy. People do not feel that this system is working for them. And that includes Republicans. 50% of Republicans think the American economy isn't fair. So this is an idea, this notion that America isn't fair and we want to make it fairer. We want to create a country where every person has a decent shot at a better life. And, you know, President Trump talked a lot about fairness, too, and, you know, spoke to the grievances of a lot of people in this country who believed that there wasn't fairness in their lives. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And I think what I want is Democrats. I think we have as a party been tenuous at times of putting together a positive vision. I think, for example, in 2020, I think a lot of Joe Biden's race was, I am not Donald Trump, Uh, right? And not, well, I have a positive vision of what a fairer America will be. My policies will create an America where you can be sure your child will have a high quality education and will never go hungry. Where a college education or a technical degree will be affordable so that you can put food on the table, where no matter your job, you will earn a wage that allows you to feed your family and be proud of that fact. I take this as an example. In Bowling Green, Kentucky, the average person on a minimum wage would need to work 67 hours to afford a one-bedroom apartment. That's astonishing. You can't put a family in a one-bedroom apartment right? And 67 hours, if you're working 67 hours, do you even have time for your family? So I think that this is the type of issue where if Democrats are clear, the notion that that you should have the things you need, the foundation, and that your, your people you know should have those same things to have a prosperous life for yourself and your family, that is, to me, it can be a political winner. And I would say also, Andrew, it's not just economically, it comes to rights too. I think that criminal justice is a space where there's a broad bipartisan coalition that thinks that our system is unfair, that unfairly targets black Americans, that it unfairly targets poor Americans. And I think that that's a space, again, where if we as Democrats want to create a country that is free of racism, that's a place where fairness and conversations explicitly about the criminal justice system are winners for Democrats, that, that we can talk in this way and people will believe us. 
More than 60% of Republicans, when polled, said that they don't think the criminal justice system is fair in this country and that they want to change sentencing laws and they want to change the way that we prosecute drugs. So I think, again, fairness to me is a really direct competitor for freedom. It's really easy to say to people, I want it to be fair for you. I want you to be free and to have a fair chance. I, I think that this is a way to really sell that to people going forward. I would also say the reason that I think right now is the the time for this new rhetoric is that people are open to it. Fox News for some years has been doing a poll asking people to describe what their ideal relationship to the federal government would be. Whether it would be, it's a simple question, whether it would involve the government giving you a, a helping hand or whether it, the government would be staying away. And in August of 2020, 57% of Americans said their ideal relationship with the government would be it giving them a helping hand. That is the highest ever. That's astonishing. Right. Before the coronavirus pandemic, the highest that since they started pulling this X number of years ago was back in 2011, when 44% of Americans said they would want a helping hand. This is a moment for Democrats. The, the, this pandemic, as hugely tragic as it has been on so many levels, is making Republicans, Democrats, independents want government to help them in a number of ways. And then the question becomes, okay, how are we helping you? And what's America going to look like after we've helped you? And I think fairness, an economically fair America, a politically fair America, a justice system that is fair, that resonates, I think, with people on a really guttural level because it ties to the American dream. It ties to really simple values that they think about in their day-to-day -day life. And it captures a broad range of policies, everything from the minimum wage to guaranteeing everyone can have health care who needs it to guaranteeing there's a wealth tax because everyone should pay their fair share in the wealthiest country on earth. James, how do you square that with, okay, almost 60% of Americans, according to Fox News, want help from the government. Yet, you know, other polls say they want government to leave them alone. And a lot of our rhetoric during the 2020 election was about how one party labeled another party as being socialists. So how do you bridge that gap where Americans actually do want help? A majority of Americans want help from the government, but they don't want it to be quote unquote socialist. It's a good question. I'm sure that there are people who are policy experts who would have sort of defined views about threading this needle at a policy level. But on a rhetorical level, I think that this is, to me, about grounding these policies in people's day-to-day -day lives. I think that this is where the second word that I found, and it was the only word, Andrew, that came up on my road trip more than freedom in more conversations, and that's community. Yeah. When it hits home, it's not socialist. Right. When, when it's making sure that your neighbor or your neighbor's neighbor or even the person in your church or maybe the kid at your kid's school are getting these things, it's not so bad, right? Medicare is, maybe maybe people don't like Medicare or Medicaid when other people have it, but they like it when their community has it. And so I, I think that the community piece, what I love about the frame of community for me is I think it allows Democrats to both convince people of policies right now, and if they are creative, they can expand people's notions of community and therefore expand people's willingness to broaden these policies and have these policies truly be for every American. So what I mean by that is I think back to Barack Obama's 2004 speech when he says, there's not a red America, there's not a blue America, there's the United States of America. It's the quote I pull out in my article as what Democrats should be doing to talk about community. Why is that? Because I think when we start to see 
our communities is broader than just the people who live next to us. We have a phenomenal possibility to convince people that we can build thriving communities everywhere. And by the way, a lot of Americans are worried about their communities right now during COVID. A lot of people are worried about drug addiction in their communities. A lot of people are worried about healthcare in their communities. So if we can make them see that those problems are happening in other communities and that we are all Americans, that we are all sort of part of the same political civic community, I think the possibilities are incredible for the Democratic Party. When we pitch an economy that is fair and when we ground it in people's lives and expand them and challenge our voters to see beyond their immediate communities, I think that's incredible. And I would add here, Andrew, that a lot of that comes from politicians, but a lot of that's community organizing. I think when you think about what happened in Georgia, a lot of that was the relentless, relentless pushing of the Democratic Party led by Stacey Abrams there to ground changes and ground needs in people's lives and and that coalition and broaden that coalition to pull in just enough white working class voters to juice black Democrat turnout, to get white educated voters to believe that they should pay something back, that our economy needs to change. And I think that that succeeded. And so I think that that should really give Democrats hope. I will put a caveat on this whole conversation, Andrew, that I do think there are some structural problems in our politics that this does not solve. This does not solve sort of the bias of the Senate towards more rural, whiter states. That is going to be a challenge for Democrats because of the political demography of our country. This does not change the filibuster, for example, that makes passing legislation harder. This does not change the Electoral College, right? If it weren't for the Electoral College, Joe Biden would have won in a landslide. Hillary Clinton would have won too. Right. So I, I, I think that's an important caveat. That being said, even all of those things aside, I think the Democrats should have a positive vision for our country, whether or not it's because of electoral needs. We should have a vision of how we are going to help every last American and every last person in this country. And to me, fairness, community, and then when we when we've sold that to the American people and we've put policies that help them, then equality, we can elevate again to where it should be in our national discourse and our national life right up there with freedom. So it's really interesting to me, and this is one of the things that really stood out to me in your piece, is I keep hearing, and this isn't just inside the Beltway, but from people around the country that I talk to, that people need help. And I keep hearing about, you know, and this isn't just in the context of COVID. This might be, you know, someone needs help reopening their business or someone needs help settling their parents or somebody needs help getting their kid, you know, to school or whatever it is. I keep hearing that Americans feel like they need some help. And your article reflected that. And it seemed to me that that was part of the rhetorical equation as well. And in addition, you know, you, you package that with the sense of community. To you, is it that, you know, obviously there's policies on both sides of the aisle that are designed to help people. But what is it that needs to frame a discourse now that's more acceptable to everybody? Is it really centered around this community? I mean, you know, Biden talked a lot about a united United States in, in a similar way that Obama, you know, brought up in the 2004 speech. You know, Biden echoed some of that in his campaign. How do you think that sense of community really needs to come together for the Democratic Party and maybe for the Republican Party, too, to jump on board? It's a good question. So I think the slight difference between, for me, Biden's framing and Obama's framing, and I think that the difference is important, is 
Biden has talked about the soul of the nation, which is different to me. It's a different framing from explicitly saying we are all one. They're similar. They have similar goals. But one of them is saying, look next to you. Look next to you. Democrat, Republican, black or white. We have the same aspirations for our country. Another is sort of saying there's been a big rupture in our country and we need to heal it and we need to do it together. But it's not calling you to look next to you. And it's not calling on you to think about people sort of beyond yourself. It's saying, join me in this fight for unity. That's that's my reading on the subtle difference. Interesting. What I think about when you ask me what I think is an agenda that would work or a framing that would work, I would really recommend viewers to go look at Danielle Allen's website for governor of Massachusetts. She talks a lot about a fair, flourishing economy, a democracy where everyone can be a part of said democracy, where we can all be equal participants and we can equally benefit from our democratic society. I think that that's a really lovely framing. I think that that speaks to some of the things I'm talking about. I think that that sort of infused with an Obama communitarianism. I don't want to claim that this is everything. I think E.J. Dionne has written powerfully about how dignity should be at the central of Democrats' economic agenda. I think that's another one of these ideals that is really compelling for people of sort of all parties. And I think the other thing I want to stress, Andrew, is it's not that I think that if Democrats do this, they're all of a sudden going to win super majorities with 65% all the time. Our politics are really polarized. I think for me, it's that we are in a unique moment where people want help, to your point, where they're worried about their community, where they're worried about the country, and where there seems to be more openness to big change than there has been in decades. And I think that part of what Democrats' task is, and I think Ezra Klein wrote a great piece about this a little bit ago, is to actually make that change. That if they don't make that change, they deserve to be voted out on some level. That if they have been asked to do this and it's popular and poll after poll shows 69% of Americans support Joe Biden's COVID relief bill, according to a recent poll. That's pretty popular. And I think if they don't pass it because they're worried about bipartisanship, I think that's a mistake. But part of this is also taking this moment to reset the conversation, to reset the possibilities for decades to come. Ronald Reagan's legacy is not just the bills that he passed. It's that he sort of redefined the political conversation for both parties. I think Joe Biden has a chance to do that. I'm not saying it will definitely happen. And if he uses these words, it will. It, it's a guarantee. I think though that these words with thoughtful communication, the right type of communication, community organizing is a central part of this. Good advertising, positive advertising, not just we're not the other guys, but what we are doing for people is hugely important. And I would add, I think that these values, what I love about them is I think that if Republicans wanted to, there's a compelling story for them to engage meaningfully with these, that they don't just have to be the party of freedom. If that's the choice they want to make, if that is the only ideal that they see essential to the American dream. I think that that's a loss for them and it's a loss for the country, but they could have good debates about fairness. We could elevate this into the dialogue and maybe they would latch on. They should absolutely be talking about community. Community is often associated as a conservative idea. It's not generally seen as a liberal idea. I would love Democrats to talk about it in a liberal way. But if, if we start talking about community, Republicans should, should think, okay, well, what can we do? How can we make communities? How can we help business owners build back up Main Street? What can we do for them? Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, aren't fairness and community traditionally Republican concepts? 
They generally are, right? And that's what I think works about them on some level. They are Republican concepts that I think can push a very progressive agenda and elevate concepts that relate to equality, which to me, this is why I'm a Democrat. Democrats fight for equality. This is why I I believe in their agenda. Their agenda is popular. How do we get that ideal back into the mainstream dialogue when we turned our backs on it? I think that this is the pathway. James, this is a fascinating discussion. Fascinating article. Thanks for coming on the podcast to chop it up with us. Really, really appreciate it. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for your interest in the piece. This conversation was awesome. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 